Welcome to season two of Shelving Cart. I'm Sarah. And I'm Teddy. And we're both librarians here to have a podcast book club with each other and all of you. On Shelving Cart, we talk about books like it's a one-hour book club meeting, so we talk about likes, dislikes, reviews, general feelings, and more. And generally completely spoil the book, so be warned. Season two of Shelving Cart is all is all things horror. Join us as we discuss ten horror books from different genres, times, authors, and styles. Today we will be discussing Nothing But Black and Teeth by Cassandra Kaw. Sarah and I, I would say we did discuss this book briefly before recording. Um, <laughs> impossible not to, to be honest with you. Impossible not to, so true. Um, but Sarah, my warm-up question for you is, what is your feeling about novellas as opposed to novels? And what were you expecting from a horror novella this week? Because this book is less than 200 pages. She's like... The audiobook is three hours long. She's small. Of a good novella, I gotta say, I love like a quick enticing read. I'm like the person who with short stories kind of struggles sometimes because like collections of short stories because I get like right as I get into one short story, it's over. And then I have to like reset my brain for the next short story. So I like novellas as like an extended short story or like fast paced usually very like quick intro to everybody like you know quick intro to the characters quickly invested quick story and quickly it's over i find that very fascinating i imagine it's a very difficult medium to write for but i like i've i haven't read like a ton of novellas but i definitely like them i like short story collections that have like one novella at the front and then like a bunch of short ones at the end you know what i'm talking about like Mm. you know Mm mm-hmm but from a horror novella, I just expected it to be scary, like to just like hit the ground running and then just be over really quickly. Well, my question, I guess, is like, have you ever read a horror novella before? And like, what is that like? I don't think so. I mean, I guess the closest would be maybe like We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. But I think that hits 200 pages. Like, I guess it depends on the de- definition of a novella. What takes something from being a novel, a novella into novel territory? I don't know. Oh, yeah. That shit. definition. I think Do that's you? kind of, no. I think it's kind of one of those blurry <laughs> line things where it's like, I, I can't believe I now. Like I But I don't know. Like, I think it's yeah. probably one of those things where it's like, it's in how you treat it. And it's probably a little bit gray in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. That's what I think, too. I think maybe We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson might count as a novella because it's pretty short. But other than that, I've read like the Samantha and Shannon has like the Bone Season books and they have a couple novellas and I've read those. And then I just read another novella that was not horror. It was a lit thick novella from like the 70s or the 60s Ooh, hot. called Sweet Days of Discipline. Mm. I feel like novellas are usually like moody. I don't know. Yeah, no, valid. Yeah, for sure. What do you? What are your experiences with novellas? How do you feel about them? Um, I like novellas a lot, and I, I think they're good for reading slumps, right? Like, yes, just like yes. ugh, the motivation of getting it done and getting it done quick and dirty. Love that for a novella. I think horror novellas are interesting. I think the God King of horror novellas is probably T. Kingfisher. Um, mm. They just write like 800. There are just so many. And I've read a couple of those and they were okay. There was one about fungus. <laughs> and I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> you know, I think specifically with horror novellas for me, I'm like, 
It's hard because I think horror is about, for me at least, like the successful buildup of suspense. And I think that sometimes novellas sort of lend themselves to like rushing through the setup where you just get like plopped down in the middle of something and then you run. And I think some horror novellas that I've read would have benefited from like a little bit more build out. That being said, we talk about Ghost Wall all the time by Sarah Moss. And while we can argue whether that's a horror or a thriller, like that was one of the most successful novellas I've ever read in my entire fucking life. That book is so good. I've never like put critical thought behind why it's so fucking good, but it's just so good, you know? I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, that's like, it's one of those books that literally haunts you forever. I think about yeah. it all the time. Um, the fucking bog bodies. Bog bodies. Yeah. Okay. So something our listeners should know about me is that I'm fucking obsessed with bog bodies. Like it's bog <laughs> bodies and Otzi the Iceman. Like for... <laughs> I just love them so much. And so that book really spoke to that little dweeby bit of me, but it was also very scary and successfully scary in a short amount of time. I think I was expecting with a horror novella, I was expecting something quick, scary, like a horror novella should really be a ghost story. Yeah. You know what I mean? It should be something that you can like. You can argue that this was a ghost story. You can argue (laughs) that, but we'll get into it. Like, I think like a horror novella should be like, quick thrills like quick scare and that's sort of what i was hoping for this week but i would love to hear more about um our our author cassandra cassandra ka was born in 1984 in malaysia um they're a writer by profession so what i mean by that is that they write stories for in scripts for video games board games rpgs etc um and they're also a script writer for ubisoft so you know, obviously a published author is also a writer by profession, but like writing as a professional sense, as opposed to like creatively writing as like a freelance author, they have published like a very large amount of short fiction. Um, they've also done a lot of poems, um, a few novellas and some novels of their own, but, uh, Ka has also worked with Robert, uh, Rupert Wong and published with him on his Gods and Monsters series. So it's like Rupert Wong and Cassandra Ka, the classic writing, like book publishing style. In an interview in 2021 for the website Nightfire, uh, they said, I've always had the impression that in the West, haunted houses were the anomaly. Some houses go bad. Others were made monstrous by the things happening inside of them. They're a thing to conquer, explore, die in. Back home growing up, most of us were told that there's very likely something living with you in your home, no matter where you are or the age of the building or anything like that. They're just there. Nothing but blackened teeth pulls from some of those old memories. So Nothing But Black and Teeth came out in 2021 and was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award, a Shirley Jackson Award, a British Fantasy Award, an Ignite Award, and a World Fantasy Award. Did you Have you ever read anything else by Ka? No, I haven't. Have you? I read The Salt Grows Heavy and it was okay. That was their first novella. Yeah, it was very prosy, um, which this one was also, um, and I want to talk about the writing style, um, but... That's my only other Cassandra Kaw moment. I listened to the audiobook for this, much to Sarah's dislike. Um, Sarah was like, just read it. It'll be faster. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying you can read 128 pages way faster than somebody can read it to you. That's so true. I did listen to it on 1.5 speed. So, <laughs> you know, I was really ripping through it. Um, so all of this is to say um, that the 
book jacket and reviews, which I am about to read to you, come from the publisher's website, but they're also what I have in Libby, which is where I listen to the audiobook. Um, download Libby, use your library card. Your library definitely has Libby. And if they don't have Libby, they have Hoopla. Um, here's the jacket. A high un era mansion stands abandoned, its foundations resting on the bones of a bride and its walls packed with the remains of girls sacrificed to keep her company. It's the perfect venue for a group of thrill-seeking friends brought back together to celebrate a wedding. A night of food, drinks, and games quickly spirals into a nightmare as secrets get dragged out and relationships are tested. But the house has secrets too. Lurking in the shadows is the ghost bride with a black smile and a hungry heart, and she gets lonely down there in the dirt. Effortlessly turning a classic haunted house story on its head, nothing but blackened teeth is a sharp and devastating exploration of grief, the parasitic nature of relationships, and the consequences of our actions. Solid summary. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. And, you know, a big promise to turn the classic haunted house story on its head. I don't, yeah, it did not do that. Just Spoiler (laughs) alert, it's just a haunted house story. So in this like horrible theme that we've uncovered about one of my favorite authors in the world, N.K. Jemisin, N.K. has once again positively reviewed a book that was trash. Brutally delicious. Ka is a master of teasing your senses and then terrorizing them. N.K. Jemisin. Uh... <laughs> dramatic pause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in case in case anyone's wondering why we're dramatic pausing, we're just making meaningful eye contact about how rough that is compared to the actual reading experience. Okay, NPR said a creepy, meticulously crafted tragedy and frankly one of the most beautifully written haunted house stories I've ever read. As in the best ghost stories, the house is full of ghosts, but it's the people who are the houses. Nothing but black and teeth will linger with you. I love the concept of the people being the houses in a haunted house story. That shit's hot as hell. It didn't give me that, but go off. Right? Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, yep. T. Kingfisher, another beloved author of mine. Delicate and disgusting. Each page holds an image more finely drawn and disturbing than the last. I have some Goodreads reviews for you. Let's, ba- let's balance the score a little bit. Please uh, do. Uh, all right. So I think that this might be the lowest rated book I've ever read on Goodreads. What is the average rating? The average rating is 2.68. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> People are so generous on Goodreads. This is a really bad sign. I know. Um, so, th- and they're still being generous in my opinion. Right. Uh <laughs> 33% gave it three stars and 29% gave it two stars. Woo. Uh, here are some st- some reviews. So Kat gave it three stars and said, I think this is the first horror novel I've ever read where characters say fuck an appropriate amount of times. Sure. Yeah. Fair. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> and then we have an abbreviated piece from a two-star review from Luce and... Um, this says, and this was supposed to be a horror story. The only unsettling thing about this novella is that cover. Nothing but black and teeth was probably my most anticipated October 2021 release. And boy, did it disappoint. Oh I mean, given that N.K. Jemison called it brutally delicious. Yes! And then two stars from Emmanuel. Less of a ghost story, more of a bad romance of a dysfunctional, delusional b- bunch of people with a lot of superficial issues and unresolved pseudo-secrets. This is a fast-paced novella, fast to read and even faster to forget. Dot, dot, dot. Two stars for the uber-creepy book cover. 
it, you yeah. know it's bad when people be are like, oh, the book cover is scary. Um, so I was reading some um, Reddit threads about the book. Yeah. Because I was looking into the folklore and stuff of it. Sure. And everybody on Reddit over and over again, it was like, the scariest thing about this book is the cover. The scariest thing about this book is the cover. The scary. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you know what? I want a special shout out Reddit. Um, we're gonna get into all of this, but one of the main points of the like the premise of the story is that there are bodies buried in the walls. I was reading a bunch of Reddit threads. Somebody was like, uh, "I'm just saying that <laughs> those mansions could never fit bodies in the walls." Ever. They're like, ja- like ancient Japanese architecture does not have room for stacks of bodies <laughs> in the walls. <laughs> okay, wild. All right. Well, let's get to the summary. I did a little bit of folklore research and I would love to be corrected slash um, built upon. But basically, here's what happens in this book. This 128-page book. The summary is shockingly long for it being so short. (laughs) Five friends, air quotes on friends, have a history of, like, ghost hunting and thrill-seeking together. And they gather at a Japanese mansion for a wedding. Faiz, we looked up a lot how to say this word. Faiz, this name. The audiobook says Faiz. We found multiple Arabic sources saying Faz. I'm going to go audiobook, but... You know, don't hate me. Faiz and Nadia are getting married, and protagonist Kat and friends Philip and Lynn are in attendance. So it's a small wedding. <laughs> the mansion is from the Haiyan era, which is a Japanese era of time um, from 794 to 1185, which is not how you say years, but I'm not used to saying years that long ago. Um, And it's basically this era in Japan where the influence of Chinese art and architecture sort of like dissipates a little bit and there's like a sort of Japanese renaissance of those things. So the mansion is from the Haiyan era and is supposed to be haunted by a bride who was buried alive in the foundation. Her ghost is perpetually waiting for her groom. And meanwhile, the walls have been packed over the centuries with the bodies of young women and girls annually sacrificed. So, you know, that's a lot of years annually sacrificed to keep the bride company. Nadia has always wanted to get married in a haunted house. So this definitely fits that bill for her. As far as I can tell, right, this book seems to be partially built around the practice of Hito Bar. Mm, Hito Bashira, which is a cultural practice of human sacrifice in East and Southeast Asia of premature burial, aka being buried alive, um, before the construction of buildings. Like, it seems to touch on that a little bit, although there's this definite, like, added element of, like, the bride part. Um, This was practiced formerly in Japan, and a person was buried alive under or near large-scale buildings like dams, bridges, and castles as a prayer to Shinto gods. So let's Put that down and move on. Philip, the preppy American, funded the trip for his friends. He sees the house and as um, he sees the house as like just a mansion. He's not really like engaging with the haunted bit. Kat, who's from Malaysia and is our protagonist, is semi-recently recovered-ish from a mental health crisis and is best friends kind of with groom Faiz, with whom she has a bit of a sexual history. 
Meanwhile, Nadia and Philip also have a little bit of a past, which Baez doesn't know about. Nadia hates Kat because she, because Kat didn't think that Nadia was right for Faiz and basically like said as much. And Nadia's like, fuck you, we're getting married. Understandably upset. So while waiting for things to start and for Lynn to arrive, because Lynn's not there yet, Kat hears a whispered phrase in Japanese, but she's the only one who hears it. She has like a little bit of an encounter with a ghost. When Lynn arrives, he's the friendliest to Kat. He's like, great, perfect, let's hug. Like the weird social politics of this event don't seem to bother him. They eat a huge dinner, they get plenty drunk, and they play a samurai game loosely translated as a gathering of 100 ghost stories. You know, there's a little fighting. They get like pissy with each other. They're drunk, they're full of food. They're telling ghost stories in a haunted house. Fine. The lights go out, (laughs) obviously. The group is driven apart as is the case with like any horror, anything that you've ever read, watched, listened to, whatever, the group is separated. But they come back together in time for like this wedding ceremony. It comes out that, you know, Nadia's wearing a veil, which Kat throws some snide remark about like being a nod to like Western tradition or whatever. She's like pissed about the veil. But then when the veil is um, removed, it is revealed that it is the ghost of the bride under there. Nadia is not in there. (laughs) It's the lady ghost with black teeth taking Nadia's place for the wedding ceremony, dressed in her wedding outfit, right? The gang freaks the fuck out. Faiz is like, where is my bride? He's like fully losing it. Of course, the gang then, like I'm ripping through it, but really like this was the part of the book that I was like, "Uh, so what? The gang conveniently finds a book that tells them what to do to bring Nadia back. Um, They need to do a human sacrifice. Um, And then there's this gory ending where Philip is literally fucking gutted by Faiz to bring back Nadia. And that's it. There's a there's an epilogue. Like, essentially, they burn the house down. And then there's an epilogue where it's like, man, too bad Philip died in that terrible accident. That's the book. Yeah. Sarah, what did you fucking think? A group of the worst people, you know. Getting together and being the worst people you know, you know? I mean, it was, the book felt simultaneously rushed, confusing, and boring. Character introductions were a mess. Who was who that whole time? Did you get Philip and Lynn confused like a lot? Because I did. I, when uh, Faiz comes on the scene, I was like, oh wait, somebody else is here. It was so confusing. No one had any individual character development except for what you said. Like, what you said. Like, Philip is rich, uh, like, rich jock American. Uh, Nadia is, like, the bitchy one. Kat is our main character, so we know more about her. Lynn is, like, the cool, the cool problem guy. And Faiz is just, like, a guy. Faiz and Kat are supposed to be best friends. But they like don't like each other. No talk. one likes each yeah. other in this book. No. The premise is like that they all got there for a wedding. Why would these people ever get together for a wedding? Why? Why? If you're gonna have a five person wedding, these are the three people you invite. I get Kat being there. <laughs> Do you? Well, because she theoretically is I can see the Fias's best friend, if they're best friends, that she would be invited. Mm-hmm. I can see that. And then, but Philip and Lynn, I don't get it. I also think, like, there was a whole thing about Lynn getting married. Oh, and, like, who were your groomsmen? Like, Lynn got married after Kat got out of, like, um, a mental institution. Like, out of a mental health facility. And 
didn't invite her or got got married during the <laughs> during her time in the in there so like so the book was just simultaneously too short and also too long it was like the worst parts of a novella i hate to say it like the worst the worst possible outcome of a novella everybody's undercooked everyone's underbaked and the plot wasn't given enough room to like bloom all right that was a mess of feelings but what are yours um yeah i also have a mess of feelings i thought it was bad i thought it was really bad um it's tough like okay here's the thing um i because i had a little background on cassandra Ka from the salt grows heavy or whatever the fuck um i also didn't like that book that much right but i tried it and like got through it and it was okay like the thing about Cassandra is that she loves prosy prose. Like, she's like, yeah, let me get poetic with it. Like, and so I think that she's actually quite good at that. Like, I just think that what's interesting is that, like, her chosen genre just, like, does not seem to vibe very well with her um, writerly instincts in a way that I think is, like, really interesting. Like, I think one of the things about a horror book is that it should be, like, and this is a problem that we ran into also with House of Leaves, right? Is that the pacing should be like, in it, like it should induce feelings of fear, suspense. Um, and if you're constantly cutting away from that to do prose shit, it gets a little like you're wasting your time, even though it only ends up being 128 pages. Like it's, it's not, yeah, it just didn't really work. Um, the characters were annoying. I got them confused the entire time. The only one I remembered was Nadia. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I know who Nadia is. Um, maybe because she was the most clearly defined, but it was just, I think it was a mess from top to bottom. It was really disappointing. It had, like, a good premise, too. Like, it it could have been sick as hell. Like, Actually, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, and that's the thing also is, like, Japanese folklore, like, get in there. Like, yeah, for sure. Like, healthy breeding ground for scary shit. It could have been so good. Like, go, like, I'm willing to forgive the walls not being thick enough for the bodies as long as the story's good. Suspend that disbelief, baby. Right. But it just didn't, you know, yeah. Like the ghosts are in the walls, not their body. You know what I mean? Like something. I would be so down for that. It should have been terrifying or, and it should have been like really good. Like the whole, when I read the premise, when we were picking out books, when I read the premise for this book, I was like, oh, that sounds like a banger. Right. You know? Yes. It sounds like a fast and easy banger. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, exactly. And then it just wasn't. It was like, to be clear, also, like, I had to make myself read this book. And that's never something you want to feel when you when it's so short. Like, short books, you should be like, great, I'm ripping. And this one, I was like, I spaced it out over several days. There was one point where I had 15 minutes left in the audiobook, and I was like, I'll finish tomorrow. The only reason I was able to finish it fast is because I opened it and then, like, sat there until I closed it. Yeah. You know? Good for you. That's some mental toughness. On one sitting. You know what? I will say this, is that I do feel like the plot, the bones of the plot were compelling enough for me to finish reading it. You know? Like, the bone, the actually what was in there, I'm like, well, what is going to happen? With the scary ghost bride, you know? You didn't... What did is you, gonna happen? Did you call it that someone was ne- gonna need to be buried in there? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for a human sacrifice? For the person who... Ex- for the ghost that accepts human sacrifices? I think 
yeah, the, I mean, the plot, uh, like, was interesting enough for me to finish reading, but that's why the bones of the story, I think, like, <laughs> like, if this was, like, a writing critique class, you know, like a... <laughs> Which is never a good place to be thinking about when you're reading a book, uh, yes. Like, a writer's workshop, like, I could imagine the the person in charge being like, okay, you've got your plot, we just need to, like, cut a lot of stuff and then add in like more about these things you know like i could see it being like this is a really good oh my god this is so fucked up this is a good first draft (gasps) (laughs) that was mean um yeah what am i wrong no (laughs) not at all did the basis in folklore do anything for you were you like i wish it did because it just wasn't fleshed out right you know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) It wasn't brought out. Like, I was interested in, like, the teeth blackening everything. Like, you, there's a way to make this book prosy and scary. And I think, like, if we got a lot more into the folklore, like, the folklore would have been the part to bring out the prose, you know? Maybe another 20 pages on that book. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I saw somebody on, on Reddit say, like, this book actually would have benefited from being longer. Because it it was rushing everything. And I agree. It's so funny to read a book that's bad and be like, well, it was because it was too short. But I actually think it's true in this case. Like, it needed expansion. Like, I felt rushed with her, or I felt rushed with them writing it, you know? Yeah, because you could tell that they had, like, their inclination is to wax a little poetic. And they were just doing it at the wrong time. Like, it was just a little tough, you know? It wouldn't have messed with the pacing too much if there, it was throughout the whole book and it was a longer book. You know what I mean? Because if you're in it for like a slow burn, scary ass book, that could be great. But it's like you said, I think when we read Witch King, you were like, I can feel the plotting. I feel the work. I can work. feel the work. Yeah. I, can, I feel like I could feel it in this one too. Did the basis of folklore do anything for you? No. I Well, because also I spent a long time, like, trying to figure out what folklore specifically it was based in. And it's like, I have a research degree, you know. I got one of those. <laughs> I have a degree that says I'm good at Googling. And I had a hard time figuring out what exactly we were talking about. Like, the black and tea thing is real. That's, like, a whole thing. There are, like, ghosts specifically that have black teeth that's like a folklore thing and then there's the thing about burying people in walls but like the bride sacrifice thing I was like I don't know like ghost marriages are a thing but that's not quite right like I spent a long time trying to figure out like what exactly we were referencing here and had a bit of a hard time it's just that it's it's not to say that like it's not based on something like I bet it is it's just like I didn't know what little little forced together in some ways also, like, why wasn't there a scene of somebody, like, actually getting buried alive? Like, there's nothing that scares me more than somebody getting buried alive. Why didn't we get a buried alive scene? That's the time to get that prose working hard for you, you know? Right. And that's the thing. It's like, it's like, and then we buried fight or then we buried Philip. And it's like, okay. And then we told his mom he burned down in the house. Oh, my God. Right. And then there was, like, so much, like, when your book is so short to have your epilogue be that long. I was like, relax, okay? Like, I don't know, whatever. Also, I have things about epilogues. It's like, okay, did you write fan fiction in the middle school? <laughs> um, sorry, that was awful. That was really mean. Um, uh, no offense to the fan, <laughs> the fan fiction writers out there. Listen, I love you. I am you. We get it. Um, I love a fluffy epilogue. 
but oh um, we didn't need one. Uh. What do we make of the self-awareness of everyone? I like there was like there were numerous points where everyone was like, okay, in a horror movie, we shouldn't get split up. Like if if this is a horror movie, we shouldn't do this. Like you and I will be the first to die because you're bisexual. Like it was that was a weird line for me. It's like, okay, maybe if you had a black character, I would be like, yeah, like, sure. Talk about that. But like, it was just a little bizarre. I found it annoying. Uh, you know how I feel about fourth wall breaks sometimes? I think it had gave me a similar vibe to that. I like fourth wall breaks when done well, but I'm like, yeah, I know how horror works. <laughs> and the reason why horror movies, whatever, work is because we get mad that they're doing that. Not because they're like turning to the screen being like, I shouldn't do this, but I'm gonna wink. <laughs> Horror movies get scary and frustrating and everything because the characters in the world don't know anything about being in a horror movie. Like, when I watch a horror movie and the characters split up or whatever, like, everything, I'm like, they, they know, like, they don't know because they live in a world that doesn't have horror movies. That's how it's, like, works in my brain. They live in a world without horror movies. What a world. Yeah. That, or they, like, can't imagine that they currently are in a horror movie. So... I get, like, Lynn is the one who keeps being like, we gotta leave, we gotta leave, we gotta leave, because this is gonna get bad, it's gonna get bad. So I, I appreciate that, like, having one character who's like, yeah. no, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's like, fuck let's off. Fuck off. But right. I don't yeah, think yeah. being like, you're bisexual is the, like, saying that, and then being like, I don't think that that works for me. I don't necessarily have a reason why, but I think it just has to do more with, like, um, okay, I'm gonna say something controversial. I'll bring it to this. This is going to be, you're you'll probably end up cutting this out, but because this is a classic Sarah rant, but like, um, did you ever see the Barbie movie? Yeah. So like America Ferreira's monologue in the Barbie movie. Um, I'm a hater. I don't really like it very much. Sure. I felt like it was out of character for her character. It felt like deeply impersonal to her character. Um, but another Greta Gerwig movie that I love is 2019 Little Women. Don't come for me, anyone. Um, I would never. I love that fucking movie. Me too. Joe, Saoirse Ronan as Joe, has a beautiful monologue where she's like, I... I, I want to do this and I want to do this, but I'm so lonely and it's so well written into who Joe is and who Joe's character is that it's like a beautiful monologue and has the same effect as the Barbie monologue, but is like a million times better and amplified because it's like a specific person having a specific person feelings that can be extrapolated out into other people's experiences, right? Um, so <laughs> to bring it back to the book is like Lynn being like, let's leave because that's inherent to his character gives you that outlet of like, you know, Lynn's like the one who's like the cool guy, like doesn't stick around for long, doesn't like trouble, like likes to not be part of problems basically, or can cause a problem and go. And so it's like him being like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Makes way more sense than being like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And you go too. Cause you're bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. Like, it's like, that. it's not, it's out of character. So if you establish character, characterization, you don't have to say shit like that, you know? I will say that um, Stephen Graham Jones, who's the author of the Indian Lake trilogy, um, the first book of which is My Heart is a Chainsaw, 
did a really good job about, so My Heart is a Chainsaw is a horror book. And the protagonist of that book fucking loves slasher movies. And then wakes up one day and is like, oh shit, my life is a slasher movie. And like uses her knowledge of the genre to get her out of sticky situations. And it's so good. So like, it's not to say, like, I love that book. And also my claim to fame is that I wrote a four-star review on this book and was like, I'm really not into slashers, but like, I feel like this book was really good anyway. Like you don't need to be into slashers to get it. And Stephen Graham Jones liked my review and I know. (laughs) Um, But like, it's, it's really nice. And all of this is to say like, yeah, break that fourth wall. Be, have them be self-aware that they're in a horror movie. You just got to do it better. Like you just got to do it in a way that makes sense. Like if they're ghost hunters, that like actually believe that ghosts are real and that's not like a barrier to their accepting their situation, then they're not also horror movie fans. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think yeah. like this is a group that I fully believe would be like too cool to watch ghost movies because they'd be like, that's not how it is, you know? Yeah. And so like this weird awareness of like the cinematic play out of their situation really fucking threw me. It felt like a gruesome episode of Scooby-Doo. Oh my God. God, yeah, so true. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to torture Scooby Doo characters, I bet we could make a chart of like who's who in Scooby Doo. Nadia well, is Daphne. Philip is Fred. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Lynn is probably Shaggy, right? Like, get yeah. me out. And then yeah, but but no one, no one's Velma. No one's Velma. They, you need a Velma. Yeah, tough, tough, <laughs> tough. You need a Velma to balance it. Yeah. Out. Um. If you could pick one number one problem with this book, what would it be? You can only pick one. Um, I just honestly would say it's not long enough. I think that that is the main the main problem in the book. Like, it's just not, not long enough. There was missed opportunities and mistaken opportunities. Like, but what I mean when it needs to be longer is it needs to be longer and better. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your one thing? Okay. Be better is not a one thing, I will say. That's just an umbrella term for I hate Well, it can't be longer. It can be longer in the exact same same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, fine. Um, I would say if I could choose one thing to make it better, it would be like make me care about any of these people. Um, I, I think it's like, I can forgive a lot if I have at least one guy that I'm like, oh, but that's my little guy. I don't want to see him die. You know? (laughs) And like, in this one, I was like, yeah, who's getting it? (laughs) Who's getting asked? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't really, and like, you could have said anything and I would have been like, okay. Like, it it wasn't like, no, which one? It was like, I know. I know. And Philip was kind of the nicest one out of the gang. Right. And he got got. And that was also like, and, but I, even then it's like, yeah, Philip was the nicest. I probably cared about him the most. Not that it was like, I cared about him an awful lot. And then when he died, I was like, "Mm, mm mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't care, you know? Make me care about him. Somebody needed to bury Cat alive. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. That would have been the, like, that would have been the move. For sure. Yeah. It's like Kat dies for her best friend to save the relationship that she ruined, give him back Nadia, and then she gets eternally damned to haunt this house. We just fixed the book. (laughs) We fixed it. 
Um, we fixed it. Did this book make you afraid at nighttime? No. <laughs> it made me mad at nighttime. I read it until like I laid in bed and read it from like eleven to one one a.m. I'm sure like, prime scary hours. Prime scary hours for real. And no, I mean I was like googling the Japanese, being like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> texting my friend being like do you know what this means and then being like okay who's gonna die and then like closing the book and going all right and then closing turning off my light and going to going sleep. right the fuck to sleep <laughs> yeah a, a couple of reviews that i read were like yeah it was annoying that i kept getting taken out of it to try and figure out what the ghost was saying yeah so no so so far in our does sarah get afraid at night we're oh for two over oh two Oh for two. Oh for two. Yeah, that's tough. Maybe I would say you're just hard to scare, but we have now read two books with um, pacing issues. And so I think maybe once we get to that good paced, well paced horror book, you might you might be feeling a little more freaked out. Yeah. 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 I want to be delighted in my horror, you know? Do you have anything else to say about nothing but blackened teeth? Get me out of here. I gotta go. That's (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, bye. Um, all right, let's stop talking about this fucking book, actually. Um, what are you reading now? Well, I just finished um, my last uh, my last Innocent Year by... Oh, I forget her name. It's a very popular lit fic book right now. I saw that on your TikTok. My Last Innocent Year by Daisy Alpert Florin. On my TikTok, you mean our TikTok, Yeah, Eddie? sorry. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we all know who runs the TikTok account. Um Everyone give Sarah a moment, a round of applause for all the hard work she does on social media. Sarah will literally text me videos, ideas and be like, hi, can you make this video that I came up with? Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Yes. So my last innocent year, it was good. Um, Four stars. Four stars. It was a good book. As you know, Teddy, I've been in a big lit fic phase right now because we read so much fantasy last year that now I'm like, okay. I need something that's a little bit grounded more in my reality <laughs> right now. Um, so yeah, that was a good one. What are you reading? Oh, I also started The Honeys, but we'll talk about that. I have a confession to make to the world. I'm ready to admit it to the world, which is that um, I recently started a new job and it's been so stressful that I'm literally reverting to my childhood. Like I'm soothing my inner child and I am listening to all the Harry Mm. Potter books on Mm. audio tape. Mm. I am borrowing them from the library, which is nice because it doesn't give her any money and it does um, support my local library, which is good. But yeah, I'm just like really trying to, um, when I was a kid, I listened to the Harry Potter audiobooks, specifically book four, because we didn't have any of the other ones on cassette. And that's how I fell asleep. And now I'm like self-soothing with that. (laughs) I had the fifth one on cassette pre like digital audiobooks cassette audiobooks were so much better than cd audiobooks because cd audiobooks you can't like the cassette audiobooks you pause and you could come back to your spot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know yes see i remember switching as a kid from cassette to cds for my audiobooks and being like well what the fuck it doesn't save my spot yeah Yeah. no it's (laughs) tough life is hard so that's yeah, that's my real problem. Because um, I would fall asleep listening to audiobooks too, and you couldn't get back to your specific spot. Um, the other thing is that I also, so um, I read A Strange and Stubborn Endurance 
last year, which is um, a romanticy, a gay romanticy by Foz Meadows. And the sequel just came out. And like, what's interesting about I'm reading the sequel, which is All the Hidden Paths. Um, what's hilarious to me is that I'm really bogging down because I'm annoyed by a romance trope for maybe the first time in my life where it's just like the first book it's like oh they're misunderstanding each other because they're still getting used to each other and they don't know each other that well and it's like okay I can do that for one book and then the second book is also that and I'm like oh they should figure their shit out actually (laughs) like I'm more annoyed (laughs) by this um so that's the other thing I'm reading and I'm sort of dragging my feet should we do points should we do our game okay So for people who are uninitiated, we are both librarians and lovers of the library. We want you to be lovers of your library as well. And one of the ways that we bully each other into supporting our local library um, is by playing a game um, called Where Did You Get Your Book? (laughs) We keep track of the points and we add them up at the end of every season. If you got your book from the library, you get one point. If you get it from an indie bookstore, you get half a point. If you get it from, we love our indies, so we still give some point for that. Um, If you get it from Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, whatever, wherever big box stores sell books, you don't get any points. But if you get it from Amazon, you get minus two points because fuck you. Um, So absolutely not. We are not supporting the Bezos in this house or any house. Um, Last episode... (laughs) I got 0.25 points simply because the book appeared on my shelf and we can't remember where I got it from. And that was creepy and on theme. So we gave me a quarter of a point. And Sarah, you got it from an indie. So you got half a point. Um, Where did you get nothing but black and teeth? From the library. That's one point to you. And I also got mine from the library. So that's one point to me. So moving on up. Yeah, we're now 1.25 to 1.5. Will we end in a tie like last season? We shall we see. We shall see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it usually comes right the fuck out in the wash, but I think we set ourselves up for a weird one by giving me a quarter of a point. Like, I think at the very least, like, it will be a difference of a quarter of a point. Um, so, okay. We both know that we hated this book. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> if somebody said, Sarah, I loved Nothing But Black and Teeth, what should I read next? What would you say? Okay, I have two. I have two, and they're both graphic novels slash comic books. Um, so first one would be uh, The Night Eaters, Volume One by Marjorie M. Liu. Um, it is kind. It's like a haunted house story with like demons and like like some folklore elements to it, and like a really creepy doll. Just felt like the same vibe. Like the look. <laughs> this is so funny. The look of the doll. With like, kind of looks like the scary lady on the cover of Nothing mm. But Black and Teeth. So for all the book cover lovers out there, <laughs> this is for you. That's for you. Um, really scary comic book, uh, but really really good. And then and it's like haunted house style story. And then my second one would be Lock and Key by Joe Hill, uh, another graphic novel, probably my all time favorite graphic novel. Um, but it is a haunted house story um with a creepy lady who lives in a well who also kind of looks like the lady on the cover i love of nothing but black and teeth yeah i also love that you were like the cover is what i will be basing my reader <laughs> well that on. was what people most had their positive uh yeah, so reactions to shout out to the person who did the cover art honestly 
of the yeah, book. Yeah, no, well done. Well done. I you. think you've gotten a lot of people to read a book that otherwise maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, both two graphic like uh haunted house graphic novels um that have folklore elements and like supernatural elements to them uh that are really really fucking good so what about you what do you got okay well i'm gonna recommend the ghost wall again (laughs) by sarah moss um it's a novella it's scary um it has to do with being buried alive it slaps just read it at this point you're gonna hear me recommend it like for a lot of things um i would also say for a horror novella that's like a true horror novella um T. Kingfisher, again, one of my go-to horror authors, like, very good, actually. Um, What Moves the Dead, which is about um, fungus, fungus zombies, similar to um, that video game and TV show that everyone likes. The Last of Us. The Last of Us, yes. But historical and cooler in that way. I think, like... For me, it was, like, also kind of a haunted house story, but, like, this one was, like, actually interesting in its premise. Yeah, I would say if you're, like, oh, I love a haunted house story with a weird twist, that's a novella. Perfect. What Moves the Dead by T.K. Fisher. And then if you were, like, man, I was really looking for folklore (laughs) and didn't get there. Like, folklore haunted house and, like, this just didn't scratch that itch. The Ghost Bride by Yang Zhi Chu is a full-length book, but is really good. It's about a girl who um, becomes a ghost bride, which is essentially, like, the guy that she would have married died. And she, like, makes these nightly trips into the Chinese afterlife and has to, like, solve a murder mystery and also, like, deal with folkloric issues. Um, And I thought it was great. Um... That sounds great. Yeah, no, I mean, it slapped for sure. I remember picking it up and being like, I had to read it for a reader's advisory course in grad school. And I remember picking it up and being like, this is going to be dumb. And then it was so good. Um, So yeah, if you're like into the folklore and that itch didn't get scratched or like if it did and you're just looking for more, I would say The Ghost Bride for sure. In two weeks, we're going to be reading The Honeys by Ryan Lasala. Um, I read the first chapter of it and it starts off with a fucking bang. So. Sick. I'm in already. Yeah. In two weeks, join us for that. And then you can find us on social media at, at @shelvingcart on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, and TikTok. And our email is shelvingcart at gmail.com. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shelving Cart. Shelving Cart was created, written, and recorded by Sarah and Teddy, edited by Sarah, and the theme music is by Kate Gardine. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please rate and review us on any of your podcast listening apps. We greatly appreciate it.